Let's open our Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 16 together. Um, And tonight we're going to really be spending some time looking at two parables of Jesus um, that I think focus on a subject that we as Americans are um, intrigued by, but totally stumped by at the same time, which is money. Um, We want more of it. We don't know what to do with it when we've got it. Um, And uh, I was thinking this week, as I was reading these stories, um, that my job is really what I do has a lot to do with money. I deal with a lot of money. And, uh, I wish it was all mine, but it's not. Um, but I deal with a lot of money. I go to the bank a ton to deposit rent checks. I speak with tenants about um, their late payments, um, which is my favorite part. I spend a lot of time um, spending funds on repairs and upgrades to homes. A lot of money ends up kind of running through my fingers every day. Um, and ultimately, I'm tasked to make a profit, right? To, to make more money, to multiply. Um, but the more I'm around money, the more I realize um, that most of us have no idea how to handle our checkbooks or in 2017 to handle our bank cards or credit cards because people don't even really know what a checkbook is anymore. Um, I was moving a couple of young uh, people in, they're probably in their early 20s, to an apartment yesterday and I said the word checkbook and they kind of laughed at me uh, like didn't even know what that was. So. Um, I think that we know that we need money to buy groceries, we need to put gas in the car, um, we need to put braces on our kids, um, and hopefully someday go on vacation. Um, but I think that we're also people who are dominated by money. We see folks, and maybe we are them, who are driven and eventually controlled by the balance in our bank accounts. Um, and I might say, I might dare to say, that money um, in America is our ultimate God. Um, that above the King of Kings, above Jesus, above our Savior, maybe, maybe for some of us, money sits on a throne higher than that, in our hearts at least. Um, and the reality is, is that we love it, we strive for it, we worship it, and it ultimately, I think in a lot of cases, it controls us, right? It, our world revolves around it, right? We need it, uh, we think we need more of it constantly. Um, And this is really what Jesus addresses in these two parables. Um, He addresses the question, is God or money your master? Who is your master? Um, We all have one. We all serve someone um, or something. Um, Maybe it's fame. Maybe it's fortune. Maybe it's um, our jobs. Maybe workaholics. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's Jesus. You know, maybe it's, I don't know, video games. Whatever it might be for you. But We have something that above all else is important to us. Uh, Maybe it's family. um, But God is asking us, Jesus is asking us, um, is God or money your master? Um, And I think he's really going to show us at the end of tonight how to be quality stewards of the resources that he has ultimately spoiled us with, um, given to us, poured out upon us. We live in one of the richest nations in the entire world. Um, We are spoiled (laughs) by God. Um, there are plenty of places where um, just having enough money to buy groceries is a difficult thing. Um, and so I think that God is going to show us how to be good stewards tonight. So we're going to dive in in verse 1, and we're going to kind of cut this into two sections. So it starts off, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, 
what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have strength to dig ditches and I am too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do I owe him? Or how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot of olive oil. Uh, So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat. That again is a lot of wheat. Um, Here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more, more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Again, that whole, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things that are your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, much like we do, heard all this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. With what this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses, and the messages of the prophets were your guides, but now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is eager to get in. But that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. For example, a man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, and anyone who marries a woman divorced from their husband commits adultery. All right. Honestly, I've always thought that this is one of the strangest parables in the Bible. And the next one we're going to read is even stranger. Uh, I think they're two of the weirder parables in all of the Gospels, to be honest. Um, At first glance, when I read this, and, and maybe you do too, it looks like Jesus is glorifying a shrewd, or I would call shady, manager um, of a company, right? This guy's known for his laziness, and he's known for his ineptitude, okay? He's known for not being good at his job. Um, But I think Jesus um, often uses stories like these not to glorify godly, ungodly behavior or wrong behavior, but to speak the language of the people at the time. This is a story that they would have understood. They would have understood people like this. And we understand people like this, right? We all have somebody we work with or somebody we know that is ultimately likes to live their life in the gray. Maybe to the part where it's like really dark shaded gray and they live their lives this way. So we understand this story. And to me, it's much like the Apostle Paul uses imagery of slavery and war which are ultimately two horrible parts of humanity. There is nothing good about war and there is nothing good about slavery. Yet Paul uses them 
And Jesus uses them to illustrate the spiritual realities to his people because he knew that these were terms that they would have understood in their culture and in their time. And with that being said, we see a manager who is confronted by his boss for wasting company funds and, like I said, ultimately being bad at his job. Um, and he hears this classic line, you're fired, right? We, we've heard that one before from somebody. Um, <laughs> his boss tells him that before he packs up his desk, the manager needs to give a full report of the state of the business, right? You need to give me a full report. I need to be prepared for the new manager that I hire in your stead to be able to come in and see all of the accounts, what's owed over here and what's owed over there and how we need to go about the business, right? It's, it's kind of a natural thing to prepare the next guy or gal for running the company. But we see an interesting movement by the manager. Um, he says to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I am too proud to beg, right? I'm not a physical laborer and I'm too proud to go stand on the corner with a bucket and ask people for money, right? Um, instead of writing the report like his boss told him to and turning his keys, he goes out to all those who owe his boss money, right? And one by one, he avoids costly and time-consuming litigation by negotiating deals for the payment of the debt, right? I don't know if you guys have ever dealt with attorneys before, but they're very expensive. And if you had to go try to get money from people or hand it off to a debt collector or a collection agency, right, it costs a lot of money. So he goes out and he negotiates these payments of debts, right? Oh, you, you owe 600? Oh, let's make that 400. Oh, you owe uh, 1,000? Let's make that 800, right? Um, and this is a lot of money that he's getting back for his, for his owner. And it says when the owner finds out, he isn't mad, but he's impressed by the ingenuity of his manager. And it says the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Um, I love that, dishonest rascal. Um, don't we sometimes feel like we live in a world of dishonest rascals, right? I, I was watching uh, The Big Short. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that film. I watched it with Cassie this last week, and I couldn't sleep that night because I was so afraid that was going to happen again. Um, but it talks about the mortgage crisis of 2009, right? And I was absolutely amazed at just the greed and the criminal nature of bankers and government employees, uh, mortgage loan offers, and home buyers. They all were doing dishonest, rascally things, right? Um, and people like every other and people like in every other period of American history were willing to literally do whatever it took to make a buck. Didn't matter if it was right, didn't matter if it was wrong. I remember one scene that just like is seared in my brain now where Steve Carell's character is sitting down and having sushi with this guy and he was had this like crazy smirk on his face like so proud of like taking all of this garbage stuff and mixing it back up and selling it to people and he was making just oodles of money i mean just ridiculous amounts of money and he was proud of himself for being a dishonest rascal he knew what he was doing right and this was really the heart of this manager this dishonest person whatever it took to make money whatever it took to um, make his boss happy. And, and Jesus, he steps into this story and he brings clarification to this parable, which is very unusual for Jesus. He typically just gives us a parable and like, all right guys, figure it out, see you later. He just kind of throws it out there and, and, and lets people kind of chew on it for themselves. But this one, he says, no, 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 let me, let me explain um, to you knuckleheads um, 
what this means, right? Sometimes he realizes how short our, our brain capacity can be to understand things, and he explains it for us. And I think there's several different things he's trying to teach us. One, he calls us to see our resources as a benefit to others, right? And he says to make friends, uh, which everybody likes friends. Um, we might have a lot of money or a little bit of money, but that makes no difference to Jesus in what we do with it. Um, our Savior asks us to use what he has blessed us with while keeping eternity in mind, right? He is asking us not just to invest in temporal things such as houses, cars, food. I love food. Um, but in people and for the advancement of his mission. And I love, I was talking to some parents um, once and they were talking about taking their kids on vacation. And I always think this is so cool. Like, I love when I see people who don't have like really fancy stuff, but they're always like going on trips with each other. And I love it because they always tell me like, we're spending our money on making memories with our kids instead of just buying them more stuff. Like, I think there's something really cool about that, right? Um, their heart is spending finances on spending time with other human beings, right? That, that's important to them. And I think that's part of Jesus talks about that we should invest our finances in our friends. I always thought that was a little bit strange, but I think sometimes Jesus, he, he wants our heart to be, I'm going to take a friend or a family member out to lunch or to coffee, or we're going to go to the movies and I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to be generous about it because what God has given me, I want to give away, right? That we can bless somebody else. We can take care of somebody else. It's not like I, we've been watching Seinfeld recently. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen the George Costanza character in Seinfeld, but he's like, he literally will like look at the bill and calculate it out to like the last like penny that he's due. He's like, okay, I think I owe you $3.95 for that. And he gives him $3.95. Like we don't want to be George Costanza's with our money, right? We want to be people who generously bless other people and give away uh, to other folks. And I think on a deeper level, our God is calling us to invest not just on life here on earth, but on the eternal growth of the kingdom of God, right? He wants us to invest in ministry in the local church, missionaries around the world, and those in need in our backyard, right? He wants us to invest to things that have an eternal impact. Um, because the cause of Christ, after all, is really the hope of the world, right? No amount of money can, can pull people out of every situation that they have, everything that they're going through, right? Jesus is the hope of the world. And that's why Mosaic um, this year has a goal in 2017 to reinvest 15% of what's given in our tithe income generously to our community, locally, regionally, and globally in our missions efforts. We want to reinvest 15% of what comes in this year to missions efforts that are eternal-minded, right? It's um, part of the reason we don't have a building, Part of the reason Cassie and I don't take a salary, we don't have those things because we want to and reinvest what God has given to us. Um, and one of those things is in August, George Klein, the missionary from Foursquare, he's going to come back and he's going to speak at our church. He's actually going to be in this area for a month. He's going to be speaking at four different churches and we're helping fly him back in from Colorado so he can continue to verse us and teach us what it like, it's like to live a life of missions and tell us what God is doing all around the world so that we can be a part of, of getting involved in that. And that's part of one of those things is we're helping bring George in. And that's that investment that we're making. Um, because I believe um, that the church should be the greatest givers in the whole world. We should be the most generous givers, right? We should be the most, uh, just so passionate about giving away what we have. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later too. All right, number two. Number one was really long. I apologize. <laughs> Number two, God calls us to store up eternal rewards, right? I remember from way back at VBS as a kid, good old 
vacation Bible school. Um, if you grew up in church at all, your parents dropped you off that whole week because they wanted a week away from you and they wanted a break. And they did not volunteer to help, right? They just were like, I need to get them out of my hair or else I'm going to kill these kids. At least that's how my parents were. Uh, maybe Trish wasn't like that. But I remember them telling us that one of the first things I learned was you cannot take money with you when you die, right? You can't take stuff with you, right? I can't take my new pair of Nikes with me when I die. I can't take my house with me when I die. I can't take whatever car I have when I die. But they always told you, but you can take the people that you love with you when you die, right? You can take them to heaven, right? They can go with you. Um, and I heard a pastor once say uh, recently, he says, he said, I hope Jesus doesn't come yet, which is kind of strange. I hope Jesus doesn't come yet because my church still has money in the bank. And it would be a shame to have even one dollar in the bank when Christ came. I want my bank accounts. I want everything I have. I want everything the church has to have been given away when Jesus comes back. Because I don't want to waste one single dollar of what's been given. Um, I want to give it all away. I want to expend all of it. Right? And his heart's desire was really to invest all of our time, our money, our effort into reaching the world for Christ before our bank accounts and our bodies are expended. Right? Um, To give it away. Third, our faithfulness determines our influence. Our faithfulness determines our influence. Jesus says that we can, if we can prove ourselves capable with stewarding the little that he has given us, he will know that he can trust us with more. Right? There's this principle. If you're faithful with a little bit, I'm going to give you some more. And if you're faithful with that, I'm going to give you some more. And this doesn't always mean money. Okay, sometimes it means money, sometimes it doesn't. It's like, okay, God, I've been really faithful with uh, the 30000 that I make, but could you really double that to 60000 And then I'm at 60000 and can you double that to 120000 There was actually a study that was done um, recently. And uh, back in the 80s, they did a study and said, people said, what do you think you need to you know, live a comfortable life? Right? And the average income back then was you know, like in the 30000 and they said, well, if I had $90,000, I would be comfortable, right? I would have this whole thing figured out. If I just had 90 grand, I would be comfortable with life. They just did this study again recently, and the average incomes jumped up to like 65000 And they asked them again, what do you think you would need to be comfortable? Like, what do you think you would need? And people said, well, I think I'd need $180,000, right? We never have enough, right? There's never like an end to our need. Like, we're always going to think we need more, right? Uh, as, as rappers always say, more money, more problems, right? So we think that if we have all this money, that, that somehow it's going to all be worked out for us, right? But God tells us that uh, if he can trust us with a little, he's going to continue to give us more. And I think this is really a principle that we see, right? We, we start a new job, and they don't immediately make us the CEO of the company. Like, hey, you're a 19-year-old punk kid out of high school. Cool, yeah, I'm going to make you the CEO of Microsoft. So, like, you're in charge now. Here's the keys to the castle. Run this thing, right? No, we start out at the bottom, we start out in the mailroom or whatever, and we work our way up as we show ourselves faithful with what we've been given, right? We, we work our way up the, the totem pole. Um, because as we show our ability to care for the small amount that Jesus gives us, he'll trust us with more and more, right? And this has to do with our money, it has to do with our influence in others' lives, it has to do with our careers, with our family, right? It has to do with every area of our lives is like that. All right, number four. God calls us to work like we're the boss, right? God calls us to work like we're the boss. Jesus asks us to work hard like we own the place. He wants us to pour our lives and energy into whatever we are doing, even if we don't directly receive the profits, 
right? Um, I work hard for my boss every day, knowing that I don't cash the big check, right? I cash the little check. He cashes the big check. But because I want to be a steward of the opportunity that God has given me, I want to work like I'm the boss. I want to go in and I want to work like I own the place because that is really what stewardship looks like. It's showing up to work every day. It's doing life every day like, like you're the one in charge. Like, like you're going to be the one getting the big check at the end of the day, right? Even if you're not. Um, because God doesn't want us to see our lives as employees, right? They just show in and punch the clock and do this thing because we have to. He wants us to see ourselves as partners, right? In this mission, in whatever it is that we're doing, right? I don't want to do things halfway. And we all have those moments. I think of those moments. Sometimes I'm at work or I'm at home. And I think of those moments when I can just kind of halfway do it. Uh, I'm going to just say how my parents would say it. They would say half-ass it, right? I see those moments where it's like, I could just take a little bit easier road. I know it's not the right way, but it's like, it's like an okay way to do that. Or like at work, like, man, I got to make those two extra phone calls. I just feel like I don't want to, right? And we all see those moments where we can kind of slide into the gray and just kind of do halfway. Um, but that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to do it all the way, right? Do everything it says as unto the Lord, right? As if Jesus is coming over for dinner, right? That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to work like we're the boss. All right, number five. God wants us to know that it isn't all about money, right? Jesus confronts the Pharisees on their greed and reminds them in Luke eleven thirty nine. He says, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness, Jesus says, right? So again, who is our master? Is it our employer? Maybe our pension fund? Um, is, it, is it the money we have in the bank? Uh, or is it the provider of all good things? Is Jesus our, is our master? Because this life isn't about how much money we make or even how much we give, right? We don't like look at our, our giving statement at the end of the year and be like, man, I'm, I'm pretty great, man. I gave like a lot of money, right? I get to write a bunch off on my taxes. And we don't give just because we can write off on our taxes either. Um, it's about making Jesus Lord of our whole life, right? It's about saying to him, Jesus, whatever I got, it belongs to you anyway. So what do you want me to do with it? How do you want me to give it away? One pastor says, um, and I love this quote, he says, If we pursue the kingdom of God with the same vigor and zeal that the children of this world pursue profits and pleasure, we would live in entirely, an entirely different world. I want to read that again. If we pursued the kingdom of God with the same vigor and zeal that the children of this world pursue profits and pleasure, we would live in an entirely different world. If we pursued the kingdom of God and what Jesus has called us to do with the amount of desire that those crooked bankers in the big short did, man, Jesus would be a lot of places he isn't right now, right? There'd be things happening here on earth that we couldn't even possibly imagine. I love what Eugene Peterson says in the message. He says, what society sees and calls monumental, like money, God sees through and calls monstrous. He calls it a monster that eats us up. All right, let's pick it back up in verse 19. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, not the same Lazarus that was raised from the dead, by the way, who was covered with sores. 
As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to a place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in a far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now uh, he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over from you uh, to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, send uh, at least at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want to warn him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. <clears throat> the rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. That's Jesus is kind of talking about himself there, I think. Um, all right. So again in this parable, Jesus asks us, who is your master? He describes a rich man who seemingly has everything this side of heaven, right? Everything. He has money and food and friends and all the pleasures that this world has to offer. The message says about this guy, he says, he was expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days on conspicuous, conspicuous consumption, right? He had everything, right? He wore like, I don't know, I don't buy fancy blue jeans, but like he had the nicest jeans and the nicest shoes and all of the nicest stuff, right? And on the flip side, we see Lazarus, who's a poor, hungry, the world, society would have seen him as unclean, right? He had sores on the outside of his body. You wouldn't have been able to touch him. You wouldn't even really been able to talk to him. Um, he would have, like other circumstances we've talked about unclean, you wouldn't even probably been accepted by your own family, right? And he would sit and eat the scraps that were destined for the dogs, right? When they were done with the bread, they would drop it on the floor and it was left for the wild dogs. They were, these were not domesticated dogs. These were not like Darcy running around the house, right? These were like dogs that would just come in here and eat the scraps, right? Um, he lived with sores on his body that the dogs would literally lick and it would give him solace. Um, and he was treated then as lower than garbage by the rich man. But on the other side, Jesus shows us an image on the other side of this life where the rich man ends up in eternal agony and torment. And Lazarus, a faithful servant of God, ends up in eternal paradise sitting next to Abraham. That must have been pretty cool. And in this reality, the table is turned. The rich man cries out to Lazarus to bring him just a drop of cool water for his tongue. But Abraham, the father of Israel, says, Remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. Remember that guy, Lazarus, that you ignored? The one that you treated like garbage? Remember him? And you had everything? See how the tables have been turned. The rich man had spent his life on self-centeredness and overindulgence. And even in this reality, he expected Lazarus to serve him. Right? Even in this life, he said, Send Lazarus. He didn't say, hey, please, Lazarus, would you bring me over some water? He said, you send Lazarus to come serve me. 
And then again, he says, send Lazarus to my family to go tell them what the truth is, right? Even in this world, he doesn't get it, right? Lazarus is there to serve him. And instead of living a life of purpose and meaning, uh, found in following the Lord and living other-centered life, he wallowed away in his opulence. 1 John 2.17 says, and this is one of the first verses that I ever memorized, says, the world and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. All the things that we crave, those things are going away, right? All of those things that we think we need and we want so bad, those are, are going to fade away. Um, and again, the rich man cries out for Lazarus to go back and warn his family. And Abraham says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone raises from the dead. Even if, even if they see this guy Jesus, who, uh, you know, even if they see me, this is Jesus talking, raised from the dead, they won't believe it. Right? And if you, if you see a guy raised from the dead and you don't believe it, you're probably not going to believe. Um, he had missed the boat. He had missed the boat. And this again makes me wonder, who is your master? In this parable, the rich man chooses a self-centered life that is focused on fulfilling his own desires for power and wealth and pleasure. Yet Jesus welcomes us into a counterintuitive lifestyle of other-centeredness that focuses on blessing others with what God has given us. Right? He calls us to offer back to him and to others our time, our energy, and our resource that he gave us to steward. We, after all, are not our own. We belong to Jesus and everything we have comes from his rich love for us, right? Our heart, again, should be, God, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? How do you want me to give away? How do you want me to expend what you've given to me? So instead of allowing money and stuff to become our masters, Jesus calls us to live in open-handed lives of generosity. Um, The size of our coffers or our skill levels are not important to God. He desires only a pure heart and offering, He wants us to simply be faithful with what he's given us in this season of our lives. And this goes for Mosaic as a community as well. I really believe, Cassie really believes, that the size of our impact on our city and on the kingdom of God is not defined by the size of our church or the size of our budget. We can make a great eternal impact as a church, um, no matter how big we are. Whether we have 10 or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000, Our size of our impact is not going to be determined by the size of our church. We want to have an ever-expanding work. But we simply must put God first, be open-handed with what He has blessed us with, and continue to look for ways to give our lives away. Because we know that if we are faithful with little, God will continue to give us more to give away. Right? And that's something I think is so cool. When God gives us more, He expects more from us. When he gives us more, he's expecting us to give more away, right? Um, I, I always think of the movie Schindler's List, right? And I don't know if you guys have seen that film, and it, it's about, uh, you know, World War II and the Nazis and saving Jews from being put to death, basically. And at the end, he, he wallows in, in, in uh, brokenness because he said, man, I've given everything away, I've sold all my stuff, but I had this car. What, how many people could I have saved with this car? I had, you know, he, he had other things that he had, small things. He said, what if I, I had so much more to offer? I could have saved more people, right? And that's what our heart should be is, God, what else do you want me to give away? Because there's so much more I can do with what you've given me. So what I want us to do tonight um, is I want us to take a few minutes just to break off into small groups. I don't have discussion questions. I just want us to pray for each other. I want us to just 
talk about what's going on in our lives. I know we all have different things going on. Even in a group of 10, it's hard to, to share everything that's going on. And you don't have to share all of your life, but I just want us to take some time together to just share what's going on. And I just want us to pray for each other. So let's break off into groups of three or four and uh, spend some time praying for each other. And then we'll eat together.